0: Well, there were a few things, but a couple of the key ones were I remember sitting out on my deck and not wanting the alcohol because I'm like, it's not working. It's not doing any of the things that I use it for. It's not quelling my anxiety. I'm not having a break from myself. There's no enjoyment in it. It's not making me feel better in any way, shape, or form. I actually don't want to drink this, but I couldn't stop I was there in tears you know because I was already pissed Um, I was there in tears going I actually don't want this but I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna continue drinking this until I, I essentially pass out
1: welcome to the tribe this is your weekly podcast from tribe sober whether you're already sober striving to be sober or just plain sober curious you need a tribe you need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 172. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really, really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe.
3: Now I had to recondition my mind to start thinking about other things. And that's what the, the, you know, the workshop taught me that I'm going, I'm going to make, have to make a lifetime change. I'm going to have to change my mindset, I'm going to have to do things differently. I I have to shift everything in my life in order to make that change. Um, I didn't change things immediately. It took a while. I you know I sat for a while just not drinking, but but I didn't change anything. Everything was still the same. I started buying non-alcoholic drinks. So instead of lounging with my bottle of alcoholic wine, I'd be lounging with my bottle of non-alcoholic wine. Um, yeah, it took it it took some time, but the workshop made me realize that it's it's a long journey, it's a lifetime process. I mean it's not it's not a quick trip. You're not just going to go there, be sober, and that's it. It's you have to work on it for a long time. Everybody has to figure out how you're doing it and you have to just stay on the path, do it just every day.
2: So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com dot com and hit join our tribe. My guest this week is Faye Lawrence, who's the founder of Australia's largest alcohol-free community for the sober and the sober curious. Her website is called Untoxicated, and the focus is not so much on the not drinking bit, but more on the socialising without alcohol bit, which is a real struggle for most people after they quit. So they do dinners, bushwalks, sober singles nights, live music, and even roller discos. It sounds like a great way to find your vibe as a newly sober person. Another reason I wanted to talk to Faye was because research is now showing that there are definite links between Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, and Alcohol Use Disorder, AUD. Now Faye was recently diagnosed with ADHD and she's keen to talk about it. So I began our conversation by asking Faye to introduce herself.
0: Thanks so much for having me on, Janet. My name is Faye Lawrence. I am a grey area drinking coach. I am also the founder of Untoxicated, which is Australia's largest alcohol-free social community. And I am also five years alcohol-free.
2: Five years. Fantastic. It gets better and better, doesn't it, Faye? These days I say that sobriety is a gift that keeps on giving because it's yeah for me it's been like a kind of springboard for self-development and finding meaning, finding purpose in my life.
0: 100%. I, I say to anyone who will listen, <laughs> you yes. know, it's a the, it's the portal to growth. It's the portal That's to lovely. growth. That's
2: lovely. Portal to growth. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to steal that.
0: Please do. <laughs> I like
2: portals.
0: It's, it's interesting, isn't it, because... I was doing therapy for years. I was studying psychology myself. I knew a lot about first childhood experiences, trauma, all of these things. It wasn't really until I stopped drinking that any of it was able to properly sink in. Because you're giving it with one hand, you're taking it away with the other. Yeah, yeah.
2: I've coached so many people that have been in therapy for their anxiety and Mm. they get sober and they say, well, I'm not
0: anxious anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. So let's drive into your drinking story, shall we? Let's get all those gory details out.
0: I was, I was about 14, but I, apparently uh, my mum said ages ago that I was two. When I drank, <laughs> got really, really drunk um, on some remnants from a party the night before. Alcoholism on both sides of the family and in the UK, like in, in, in most families, communities, is a big boozy culture. Yeah, so that's just the norm. I was about 13 or 14. So I dabbled a little bit before that, but when I started getting more interested in basically getting obliterated, <laughs> obliterated yeah. was was that sort of age. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And how did it evolve in your 20s and 30s?
0: I mean, I just love partying. I love mm. partying like, like a lot of young people, but for me, one of – Things that I remember is it switched my brain off. Uh, You know, I have a very active mind and I've always been very prone to, you know, quite high levels of anxiety. And it just switched it off for a moment. I could have a break. And also, I didn't have much self confidence like a lot of young people. And it took all that away. It took away all of. These things that I was experiencing, and I was sold. I was like, "Yep, i mean in, a oh, buying and sinker. This is brilliant." And then, and then I was like working up in London at a, a prof services firm, and you know, at the end of uh, year end, you've done an audit or whatever, and great, let's go out, long lunches. You know, this was back in the day. Worked in newspapers in the UK, uh, Holborn Circus, same thing. From there, it just it just continued. I did have kids quite young, um, but I came out to Australia when I was twenty twenty one, and I just basically got hammered the entire time. So I'd go up to like Cairns, you know, I'd do barely any sightseeing or anything. It would be the bare minimum because I was always either completely smashed or recovering. And then fast forward, you know, to when I had the children a few years later after meeting my husband in Australia, my now ex-husband, it was probably a bit more moderate then after having the kids. But then when we returned to Australia and the relationship didn't work and we separated as a single parent in a country that I hadn't been in that long with no support network because i really hadn't established any friendships or, you know, I didn't have family. And that was it.
2: I, I just needed the alcohol to cope, really. Yeah, the, the mommy juice, the parenting aid.
0: Well, you know, I had a, I had two young children. I was working yeah. full-time, commuting Four-step. two hours a day, oh. you know, blah, 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 blah. And... Yeah. The weekends I didn't have the kids, I just wanted to get obliterated the entire time.
2: I'm sure you are absolutely exhausted, Faye. I know that kind of single parent kids working full time, exhausting.
0: Oh, absolutely. But it just continued for me. It never never ended. So, you know, I'd have relationships. I had a couple of long term relationships in there. You know, sometimes it would stabilise out a bit more. But really, from that, Point where i had become a single parent for the next sort of 20 years was the the, the cycle that i'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with which is yeah. trying to moderate you the know, rules in out shake it all about there were periods where obviously you know, as happens for a lot of people bad things would happen bad yeah. things would happen and i'd go christ i need to sort this out So, I'd go to the GP, I'd get naltrexone, or I'd go to alcohol counseling, or I'd try an AA meeting. But I just, the denial is so strong. I don't want to give it up, ultimately.
2: I know, we love it, don't we? It comes our best friend. So, did you have a rock bottom? I mean, what was the moment when you thought, I can't do this anymore?
0: Yeah, I did. I had basically been drinking. I Would say much more heavily, like it uh, progressively, as is usually the case, it went from partying, stress relief after work to more significant. But I was still quite high functioning, you know, I was still going to work, I, I had a reasonable career, I was studying, ticking all the boxes, but going into work multiple times a week with terrible hangovers. There would be times when I'd be literally under the table there was just this continued glamorization i suppose of well i'm just a corporate girl and i'm out and i'm having the wine after work with my mates and you know all the lunches work hard, play hard we used to call it yeah didn't we? and so it did yeah. escalate over time there would always be the incidents or something that i'd done constantly feeling awful and then fast forward to 2017 i'd had a relationship that had broken down both kids had left home, I was basically home alone. Those protective factors that I think are in place for a lot of people, i.e. you're going out to work. You know, we saw this during COVID. When people don't have those protective factors in place, things start falling apart and that's what happened. But it had been a long time coming. Basically, at the end, I was just I was really in a mess and I realized finally I had lost control. And I I was in a lot of emotional pain. And at that point, I just honestly really didn't care if I lived or died.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober.
2: And what made you decide that you were going to do something about it? Because recognizing what a mess we're in is one thing, but. Taking that first step is the hardest thing of all, I think.
0: Well, there were a few things, but a couple of the key ones were I remember sitting out on my deck and not wanting the alcohol because I'm like, it's not working. It's not doing any of the things that I use it for it's not quelling my anxiety I'm not having a break from myself there's no enjoyment in it it's not making me feel better in any way shape or form I actually don't want to drink this I couldn't stop I was there in tears you know because I was already pissed I was there in tears going I actually don't want this but I know what I'm going to do I'm going to continue drinking this until I, I essentially pass out and I went to my therapist at the time who I'd done quite a lot of work with and she said to me and I'd actually been drinking before the session it was the first time I'd ever done that and she basically said to me look you look terrible you you need help just that validation of like someone seeing someone I trusted because by that point you're hiding you're hiding it as much as Mm. you can but not very successfully a lot of the time. That was it. The next day I went to emergency after I, I, I got some information, found out what to do, went to emergency, tried to get admitted to the detox. They didn't have any spaces. They said come back in 10 days. And I just smashed it for the next two, t- 10 days. I, I got taken back to emergency again by my eldest daughter because I was in such a distressed state eventually I did get admitted and that and that was it that was it yeah you know I I think it's important to mention Janet that you know people will hear this sort of story and go well that's so far removed from my experience that I'm not like that yeah (laughs) and that's what I used to say as well
2: yeah yeah
0: until it was my (laughs) experience until it was my experience well it's
2: it's a slippery slope and many of us get there, don't they? But this stereotype that society has, you know, the the alcoholic, uh, I hate labels, but the alcoholic uh, is the homeless man in the park with his paper bag and his whiskey or whatever he's drinking. And the rest of us are normal drinkers. And that myth, you know, keeps so many of us in denial, doesn't it? Thinking, well, I'm holding it all together. You know, I've got a job, I've got kids, yes. everything's all right but i'm sure you will remember i still do it takes so much energy to hold it all together doesn't it you know and that's why so many of us when we get sober we redirect that energy into something positive and do amazing things so we have to recognize it's a spectrum isn't it and that's grey really area is. drinking of course
0: yeah absolutely and it
2: sounds sounds like you'd gone a bit past that grey area it's drinking not, if i may say so, have. so. <laughs>
0: Yeah, i yeah. had. And what I love about what's happening with the movement in Australia, UK, US, South Africa, is that people have got more choices now.
1: They yeah, don't yeah.
0: have to wait for that rock-bottom moment. They don't have exactly. to go into a room and say that they are an alcoholic, which actually isn't even a correct term, as I'm sure you know. You don't have to wait till that rock-bottom moment. Like I had, you can. No,
2: the clever people step off early, don't they? And they yeah. get some counselling for their grey area drinking, and they recognise that it is a slippery slope. And I think one of the things that I had no idea about when I was moderating and failing and moderating and failing, because I couldn't bear the thought of life without alcohol. Yeah. And what I didn't recognize back then is it's actually a lot easier just to ditch the bloody stuff, isn't it? Rather than to try and control an addictive substance. Because once we've oh. crossed that line into dependence, that's it. No more alcohol for us. And we have to recognize that and then go on to build a beautiful alcohol free life, which is possible.
0: <laughs> You're so right. And that is something that I really didn't appreciate at all until I actually went down this path because yeah. the amount of time you spend thinking about oh. it, negotiating with yourself, going, okay, in the morning, I feel a little bit seedy all right, that's it, I'm not drinking tonight. And then by 11 or 12, you're already negotiating with yourself at yeah. work about stopping at the bottle. Oh, look, I've had a really, my boss had a go at me. Okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to buy one bottle and then I'm going to put ice cubes in it and or soda water <laughs> or, you know, whatever the whatever the method at the time is and um, I'm going to leave half in the fridge. So it will do me for two nights. Like with, As if. <laughs> with, the constant wrangling with yourself. Exhausting. Absolutely exhausting.
2: The freedom yeah. that comes, you know, the mental freedom so we don't have to go around those circles anymore is huge, isn't it?
0: But we have to come to that point of acceptance.
2: Yeah. So, Faye, talk to us about your first year of sobriety. What was it like? How did you do it? How difficult was it?
0: Well, I did it was either five or six days in detox and i was just resolute i was absolutely resolute in my mind i was like no i i i just well i scared myself as well
2: yeah you have to choose life at one point don't you and you chose life
0: i've scared myself I'm going to end up dead if I keep doing this. Mm. And so I just was like, that's it. I'm not going to be a statistic. I don't accept this. And it had been so humiliating as well to put my hand up and say, this is the state I'm in. And a number of people had seen it at that point. Here was me, the one who gave advice, the one who was studying psychology. In Inpatient Detox, I just went, I've got to throw absolutely everything at it I've really got to take a different approach yeah basically like this this I've got to make this work the end that is yeah. it there's yeah. no yeah. way there's no wriggle room for me because if I give myself an inch I'm going to take it and so then I came out I went on to medication I just started throwing everything at it I joined all the Facebook groups did go to AA in the beginning. I was seeing an alcohol counsellor. I was seeing my psychologist. I was just like, I am going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And I'm also going to go into this with an open mind because I've never done adult life. No area of my life have I done without alcohol. So I was like, actually, I wonder what it's like. Like I, I really am curious as to what it's going to be like and it's of course terrifying as well but I think that that approach that approach was helpful for me because perfect
2: yeah yeah. I love that. I mean, I'm always saying to people they've got to, you've got to throw the book at your sobriety. You've got yeah. to do everything. You've got to try everything and make it your priority for yes. at least six months. And then you'll get there. I mean, nothing else is more important, is it? Because our recovery is like a foundation and every everything else rests on that foundation. And you're a, a fabulous example of, of the success when you throw the book at it. But you can't tinker around with it. You can't do a little dry January there to yeah. convince yourself you don't have a problem. That was me for years. You've got to really go for it and get all the help that you can. And you've got to save your own life.
0: Yeah, that's, that's basically it in a nutshell. You've got to want it. You've, you've yes. just got to want it. Because that was 17 years between when I first sought help for my drinking two when
2: i stopped have you heard that statistic um that the tempest came up with you probably know about them holly whittaker yeah um, yeah they're in the u.s the tempest they're great anyway they did a study they asked 250 people in recovery how long was it between that moment when you knew you had a big problem and the moment that you reached out for help and the average Mm -hmm. time was 11 years i thought that was really interesting because yeah. we think, wow, that's a long time. But I was moderating, i.e., failing to moderate and trying for at least a decade. So yeah. it makes sense. It's, it's, it's and, not
0: uncommon because the thought of life without it is just um, oh. uh, unfathomable. You know, yeah. it's like what, how? Like no, yeah. I don't. I'm, I, I'm not. No, that's not an option. That's just not an option. And you you, you just continue then trying to find ways to make it work.
2: The fact that we don't see an option... So that's just the power of the liquor industry and how we've been brainwashed and manipulated for decades, particularly us women. You know, it's all glamorous and fun. And every time you switch on a Netflix movie, there's a gorgeous heroine with her massive glass of wine. We've just been manipulated. And I think part of the, this journey is to unplug from the matrix, see mm. through the bullshit, and then you start to find freedom and you start to get angry. I'm angry a lot of the time. (laughs) It's terrible, you know, the way women are manipulated, and certainly I was for decades, but it's lovely to work with people and gradually you see the scales fall from their eyes and they think, wow. (laughs) 100%. 100%. I
0: mean, we are bombarded with messages through popular culture, through... yeah advertising, just through sheer availability, you go to the cinema, you go to the hairdresser, yeah. you go to the children's party, it all involves alcohol.
2: Yeah. And I I, I heard an amazing uh amazing statistic. Here I go again. I like statistics. But yeah. from the UK, um this doctor told me that in the last 30 years alcohol has become one third cheaper, you know, the real price of alcohol. Mm. It's it's a third cheaper than it used to be, and it's obviously much more available. We've just had a budget here in South Africa, and I think they've they've made alcohol about one cent more expensive, you know, as if mm. that's gonna change anything. So yeah, I mean the, the gov it's a machine, isn't it? We've got the governments because they want their tax money, Text. and we've got the liquor industry. Very and powerful. then of course because of all this the peer pressure is there as well you know all our friends drink and if you don't drink it's well you're boring what's wrong with you we have to go through that fire
0: i'd actually say the last one is in some ways the hardest for people yeah For, for, for people that i work with and certainly for me as well that judgment or feeling like you might be pushed onto the outer or you know, will my friends still like me? How am I? How's it going? How's yeah. everything going to work socially? It, it, it's it's really confronting for people. Okay, well I'll catch up with you then. Love to see you, but I'll wait till you start drinking again before yeah, yeah. we have a dinner.
2: I got that. Yeah. <laughs> and then I I used to get if I hadn't seen anyone for a while, they'd go, oh hi, you know, how are you doing? And they say, are you still doing that not drinking thing? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I was some kind of crazy person. Yeah, the peer pressure is is huge. But it's also a bit of a, a sort out, isn't it? Who are your real friends? Who are, you, who are going to support you through this? Who can see that you're really in trouble here and you need to make a change? And who just wants you as a, a drinking buddy? Because they've got a problem as well, usually.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and that was my experience too. That was my yeah. experience so, too. You're able to discern usually within the first year, who's actually going to be someone that's likely to remain in your life and who, and sometimes it's really surprising and and very painful. Mm. I, I wouldn't say all your friendships are going to change, all your friendships are going to have to be let go. That's not necessarily the case, but you probably need to change the kind of the format uh, for yes. what, how they currently operate.
2: Yes, I do a lot of breakfast these days. You know, for what I used to spend on a boozy girl's lunch, I can go to the smartest hotel here in Cape Town and have a fabulous breakfast, you know, with gallons of coffee with my friends. You have to reconfigure your life, don't you? But yeah, I've certainly lost friends, but then I've gained a lot of wonderful sober friends that I connect much more deeply with than I ever did with my drinking buddies. But you definitely go through a... A bit of a resort there, a bit of a reconfiguration of your uh, friendship group.
0: I think that's actually a really interesting point, Janet, because we think of alcohol as something that connects us to others. And actually, it's quite the opposite. We're disconnected because we're not present. We're not really engaged. After, you know, half an hour, an hour, you could just be talking round and round in circles. And... We come away and go, God, that was a great like, I can't remember what we yeah, talked were talking about. Because we're still buzzing, yeah. <laughs> Whereas when you're you're alcohol free and you're mixing with other people who are alcohol free, it's it's just there's a lot of power in that. It's much more honest.
2: I, I related so much to what you said earlier, Faye, about you had to kind of learn how to do life. You know, I felt like that, especially with the socializing. Um, yeah. The only way I, I coached with that was to force myself to socialize alcohol free, you know, again and again for months. And mostly I hated it. Sometimes I used to run away after half an hour. But yeah. gradually I got there and I could relax. And I realized that the key to socializing sober was actually to listen to people. <laughs> listen to what they were saying you know rather than just try and be funny and talk 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 and it was a big change for me but I enjoy socializing now because I, I really listen and connect with people which I never mm. used to it was just mm. you know I still, party time. I, I still struggle with that well with the
0: ADHD <laughs> yeah well let's <laughs> like, talk about you that you know we do talk and we interrupt and all of those sorts of things so that's yeah we, we've definitely of- got
2: Got people in our community with um, ADHD, and I would love you to talk more about that.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I got diagnosed last year. I was 48. There's a period you kind of do go through the five stages of grief where you're retrospectively looking over your life, you're grieving for all the things that you feel could have been had you got support earlier. But one thing that really angered me, I suppose, was understanding the link between ADHD and addiction and how many people are impacted and how many interactions I had had with mental health services or AOD services and not once did anybody even suggest it was in the mix. That's a lot of people suffering unnecessarily who don't have enough dopamine in their brain, which is not their fault. It's a neurodevelopmental condition. You are born like this. Your brain is actually what makes you susceptible to addiction in a much more significant way than the general population. There's probably a lot of people out there that are undiagnosed that are beating themselves up for being dependent on whatever substance because it can be as well for food and things like that too. And it's not your fault. Like, it's not your fault. Virtually all of my friends now in the cyberspace space have been diagnosed.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com.
2: And what are the signs, for? How do you know that you should be tested and how do you get tested for this?
0: Well, for me personally, and I think the testing and, so, and the, the assessment process is different in every country. But for me personally, I really started noticing probably about three years in that I never had that sense of peace, calm, lessened anxiety that people talk about my mind it's doing ding 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 ding, you know I'm like I am not at all calm and my body is constantly tense or jiggling and so for me there were just so many symptoms because I I am at the more significant end of of ADHD but it's things like obviously forgetfulness, blurting, impulsivity, inability to wait your turn with things Um, You know, you're likely to be like really road ragey, for example, quick to lose your temper. You often, not everyone, but have a history of fractured relationships or you've changed jobs quite frequently. You get bored really easily and you just really have a great deal of trouble concentrating. But very, very good in a crisis. Excellent if there's a deadline and you need to make things happen. The, The ADHD brain essentially has two modes. Interesting or not interesting? And if it falls into the not interesting category, it's incredibly hard for us to do the things in the not interesting category because of the deficiency in the brain chemicals, which provide us with motivation and um, executive functioning, memory, the ability to follow things methodically, all of those types of things. So we literally are all over the place a lot of the time.
2: So what's the solution for it? Are you on medication? How does that work? Because it sounds as if uh, ADHD has some positive elements and you don't want to block those out, do you?
0: I am medicated, but for me personally, um, I've been medicated now for probably about six months. It's a bit hit and miss.
2: You were quite excited at first. I think that was probably when you wrote to me and said, "Oh, I've been diagnosed, and I want to talk, you know, about it and help other people." So maybe that was the early days. But I mean, maybe it is as simple as you know having tweaking the medication until it's it's the right level.
0: Well, clinical guidelines basically recommend that it is a combination of things. It's not just the medication. You can't rely on the medication mm, alone. No. And I think by the time you get to my age as well. Your neural pathways and, and, and habits and behaviours are all pretty firmly bedded down and, you know, so there's, there's all these sorts of things in the mix that kind of interplay with the condition.
2: Are you still working with your therapist as well on that?
0: You they, they, they recommend coaching and CBT. Coaching, right. Yeah, coaching, yes. ADHD coaching. can imagine
2: CBT, yeah.
0: CBT, tr- trying to proactively move towards things that calm you so... With the addiction stuff and that interplay with the with the alcohol, I've been able to look back on my life and go, well, A, my entire family is neurodiverse, which I had no idea of. With this history of addiction in the family, it suddenly all makes much They were more self-medicating with yes. alcohol. Yes, and so it's actually, I think, in many ways helped me come to terms with that side of, my history in the family, and go. Okay, this was in the mix for pretty much everybody, and that wasn't their fault. It's still their responsibility. No, no, no. I mean, if anyone's that, you know considering whether it might be in the mix, certainly worth going to your GP to get a referral, get it checked out. There seems to be a lot more openness now around Definitely. this, a lot more understanding. But really, do your homework. Pick who you go to because. There is still a lot, even psychiatrists out there, who don't subscribe to that it's an actual condition, even though it's one of the most well-researched conditions out there.
2: And you do hear about a lot of children having it these days, children that used to be called naughty. <laughs> and now, you know, they've been diagnosed with ADHD. I know yep. quite a few mums who've got their children... You know in this uh in this treatment for adhd
0: the earlier you can get it i would say the better it is yeah. because you're going to be able to start working with the brain rather than against it but that's often when the parents get the diagnosis themselves is when the child gets diagnosed and they go oh
2: yes that's well very it- interesting yes i do know a mum and her son and they're definitely both both got it yeah
0: well it's 80 percent heritable so it is it's, 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 it's absolutely inevitable there's someone else in your family
2: yeah well thank you for that I'll uh, I'll put it in the podcast title so you know hopefully a lot of people can can listen to this and think oh better maybe I'll check that out yeah so let's go back to the what is it five years of sobriety now Faye that you've done
3: yes well done
2: tell me your, your three top benefits
0: Oh, my God, three top benefits. I mean, the number one for me is relationship with self.
2: Yes, yeah. You connect with yourself, don't you? Finally, you know who you are, what you want out of life, yeah.
0: Every other relationship you have in your life does stem, and it's not a selfish thing. It is about a reflection of how you feel about yourself. That's how what you're putting out there. And when I look back to how I used to treat myself when I was drinking, I feel sorry for that person. I I, I feel my heart goes out to what I thought was just the, the way that you were in the world and how little respect I treated myself with and how little care I treated myself with. I never want to go back to that. So the, the relationship that you build with yourself where you start to get to know yourself, you're actually starting to have your own back, you're starting to build self-trust, you're starting to respect yourself. Yeah. That is, to me, the biggest gain. You yeah. can spend years doing all this self-help, personal development, go see therapists, this, that and the other, but if you're constantly hurting yourself, essentially, you're certainly negating mm a significant significant portion of that because you're not walking the talk.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think it gives us self-confidence as well because we tend to think, well, if I can do that, I can do almost anything because it's got, not easy
0: no, to do and, that.
2: And we did it.
0: Exactly. It, 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 it's, you definitely do. You're like, right. And I gave up smoking a year later as well and I'd smoke yeah, my entire yeah. life too. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you that, inner conviction that yeah. no matter what life throws at you, you're going to be able yeah. to handle it. Yeah, you're it's like
2: handle bring it. it on, isn't it? Bring it on, yeah.
0: It's not going to be pleasant necessarily, but you'll deal with it somehow. Yeah. You'll find a way. Yeah, The second most important thing to me, pardon me, has been my relationship with my children.
2: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, they must have been so worried about you, Faith.
0: Yeah, and, it, and I think that's one of the hardest things to forgive yourself for as well. Yeah, yeah. Anyone listening to this who is having that little inner voice saying, "Mm," they're worried about the impact on their children, please listen to that voice because the sooner you do it, the better. And you don't have to, like me, look back and go, oh, God, I, I just wish I hadn't exposed my children to that when I knew what it was like, because I was exposed to it.
2: Absolutely, yes, yeah. It's a huge benefit, isn't it? You get closer to your adult children and they realise, you know, what you've done. And hopefully we're role modelling it a little bit as well, you know. We're
0: we're breaking the cycle. We're breaking intergenerational cycles. In In your case, yeah. Yeah. We are, yeah, basically available there and present to them. My kids yeah. know now they can call me no matter when they need, and I am there. I am there. Whereas when I was drinking, don't call me past five. I'll be I'm busy. Gonna, I'm, well, I'm not going to be able to get into a car. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So it was, the, there's such a huge shift in that, and they've been my biggest supporters. The third thing, I think the third thing is
2: clarity. Yeah, of thinking.
0: Not so much clarity of thinking, but just you start seeing things as they actually are. Yeah. You start yes. seeing relationships, friendships, relationships, uh, you know, partner relationships. You start recognizing your own patterns and how you're contributing to certain things that keep showing up in your life. And you take yourself out of victim mode.
2: Yes, absolutely. The drama triangle, no more.
0: (laughs) You're like, well, no one's coming. There's there's no one coming. No one's coming to to rescue me from myself. So it's down to me and that clarity that you're able to get to see the part that you are playing in your own self-sabotage but also some unhealthy parts of your life that you may have been drinking to cope with or to push down, that clarity then sp- inspires
2: action. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean now. We call it the dynamo effect. And I think when when you're sober, you start to look at other areas of your life, don't you? And you think, am I eating well? You know, am I exercising enough? And, you know, we've got so many people in our community that have changed jobs, left their husband, changed yeah. homes, moved countries, Things they never would have done if they were still drinking, because it keeps you trapped, doesn't it? You're trapped in this groundhog day. Every day is the same, basically. Your your story about how you wake up feeling grim, and then by mid midday you feel quite chirpy again. When you're planning the the evening trip, you know, to buy the wine, and 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 that day repeats itself again and again. But once we ditch the stuff, we can move on and start making some progress.
0: We're making space for better things and the alcohol is keeping us small. Last week I was really quite unwell. I had um, some sort of viral thing. I was, you know, my whole body was aching. I felt nauseous constantly. I had headaches all the time. And I was like, I used to feel like this three times a week.
2: We just get used to it. I used to think it's because I'm getting older I feel like this. (laughs)
0: now I'm even older and I feel great it blew my mind it just you know like how awful I was feeling and how debilitating it was and I was like I thought this was okay
2: yeah yeah we accept it don't we it's madness madness
0: yeah so um they're my they're my three things but I mean there's just so many thank you
2: yeah I know I know Everyone says that one else and benefits go, oh, how long have you got? Yeah, we have to change our thinking about drinking. We have to work on our limiting beliefs or we might relapse. And I do meet people that relapse, obviously, Uh. but they always want to get back to sobriety because they say, oh, I felt so great, you know, and now I feel rubbish again and so yeah but we have it's no white knuckling is is useless that's what i used to do with my constant dry januaries you know i would count the days and come february you know it was carnage because i was making up for lost time so uh, white knuckling doesn't work we've got to change the way that we think about alcohol and realize it's just a poison it's a and poison. i remember talking to your colleague andrew on the podcast he was such fun and yeah. we talked about how it's like a cult, you know, and the whole world was in the grip of this cult, almost like a science fiction movie, you know, and everybody drinks and thinks that drinking is wonderful. Um, so when we stop drinking, that's why we feel out of it for a while and we have to to learn to realise that, you know, it really has nothing to offer. And I heard something lovely just this week. Someone said, um, rather than asking yourself am I an alcoholic? Ask yourself, am I living my best life? And I thought that was beautiful. And it's because alcohol will always prevent us from reaching our potential in life, even if it doesn't destroy us. And that's a great way to look at it, I think.
0: Yeah. I, I, my, the question I ask is, are you the person you want to be
1: with yeah. alcohol in
0: life? Are you the parent you want to be? Are you the partner yeah. you want to be? Are you the entrepreneur that you want to be? And often the answer to that is no, because alcohol is, if people are actually willing to be honest with themselves, messing up those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're giving up, you know, one thing to gain yeah. all this stuff, all of this Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, yeah. But you just need yeah. to give yourself the opportunity to actually see what that's like and then.
2: Yeah, and that's where the clarity will come in. But you have to be sober for a while to see that.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at Tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com and we'll send you an invitation.
2: So let's talk about Untoxicated. When did you found Untoxicated and why and what is it?
0: Well, one of the things for me, Janet, was that I was always very social and, uh, you know, I was very social and it was a real mental barrier for me. Times when I was trying to think like, okay, well, I want to cut back, but how's that going to work? because everyone I know drinks, and what would I do? I'm just going to be sitting at home. Anyway, it was probably about a year after stopping that I decided I needed to, you know, I was over that sort of the hump of taking it day by day and just going, and then you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm feeling fairly solid, what next? I want some. I want some friends. You know, I want people like me. I don't want to go to a recovery yeah. program and hang out with people that I do not. Uh, and that's no offense to those people at all, uh, but that I just don't identify with. I'm not on the same. Yeah. They're not my people. Yeah, um, you've got to find your people. Yeah. So that's basically when I created Keys. So that was 2018. I just started with a small meetup group, and I would go along, maybe one person would turn up. 2019 I decided right, if I'm gonna do this, I'm really gonna put some effort in. So I started holding them every week and then we started getting some media coverage. We got some national media coverage. And then we opened Sydney and Melbourne. And so now we're in those three locations. Really the whole idea with with intoxicated is basically the deal here is you just don't drink at the event. That's it. Yeah. You rock up. You have a meal, you watch a movie, you do a bushwalk, you do a kayak, you do a sober karaoke or whatever it is. And you meet other people who are on the same path and you can see what's possible if you're not already. Yeah, that's
2: the thing, isn't it? There's learning there. Wow, you can have a social event without alcohol. Who knew?
0: Yeah, and that's a big thing for people. But also, you're putting yourself in environments where historically you've probably always drunk. So, how do you get used to being in a restaurant? Every time you've gone out, wine has been a big part of your meal or, or, you know, food wine matching or whatever it is. Well, if you go with a group of people and the whole table isn't drinking, you're exposing yourself and you're seeing what it's like, but with no threat that oh, God, I'm white-knuckling it because, like, other people on the table are drinking and that's triggering. And, you know, so you start to rewire those neural Mm -hmm. pathways and gain some evidence that it's actually possible for you.
2: Yeah. And,
0: you know, really the whole thing as well is, like, sobriety is hard a lot of the time and it can be quite heavy going and you've got to have a place for fun. So talk to
2: us about the coaching and how people can find you
0: so the coaching i probably do operate maybe slightly differently from other coaches because i do have the psych and i'm also studying counseling as well really just meeting people where they're at so i am a gray area drinking coach because there's a lot of people that fall into that category but it's all online i do it all online uh my clients are mainly males and females uh, they're mainly professionals, people that are actually quite successful in their lives, and then behind the scenes, the alcoholic. Yeah, they're
2: quite doing popular. what we were doing, holding Correct. it all together. Just
0: <laughs> yeah, they're basically people like I was. Yeah, I really like to basically look at the, the person's whole life and kind of go, right, where are the where how do we get you where you want to go, essentially? And I, yeah. I am compassionate, but I also i'm quite no bullshit
2: and how can people find no bullshit people
0: people find me um faylawrence.com.au so that's fay with a an e on the end f-a-y-e uh lawrence is l-a-w-r-e-n-c-e yeah so hop on there or come to intoxicated if you want to have a look at that want to have a look at any of our socials we post things out on there that might be helpful for people in on this journey uh that's intoxicated so not an intoxicated intoxicated intoxicated.com.au
2: so last question Faye if someone's listening to this and they think oh you know I I have got a problem I know I've got a problem but I just don't know where to start what do you think is a good starting point
0: because of the shame and stigma that people often feel I do tend to think Depending on the severity of the problem uh, for the individual, the online communities can be really beneficial to kind of just get a sense, dip your toe in. Mm. You don't even have to post. It's just a way of being able to observe and go, oh my God, there's actually, Mm. it's not just me. (laughs) Yes. And these people, you know, these people in here are experiencing the same things. And I thought that this was just, just a me thing. Go to GP as well, that's another option. Yeah, I mean there's there's usually in most countries some sort of peak body or there's some sort of helpline that you can also call. Um so just give it a Google.
2: Yeah. And and listen and learn for the even if you're still drinking, I say to people, yeah. yeah. Well people hopefully listening. someone's listening to this.
0: And it doesn't matter how many times you try fact that you keep going and that's a that's yeah. just part of it for so many of us
2: a lady in our community she had 84 day ones and now she's two years sober and oh my so happy God. yeah I love just keep that. going keep going i know never never give up the struggle that's the only failure isn't it if you give up trying don't give so up everyone. trying
0: it doesn't mean you've learned from all of those times there's yes. been something yes to
2: learn. thank you so much faye I just love what you do and think you should open up here in South Africa. Let's pull out some key points. Faye explained that she'd been in therapy for years, but it wasn't until she stopped drinking that the healing began. She refers to sobriety as a portal for growth, which I really love. Here at Tribe Sober, we often call it a springboard for self-development. The combination of alcoholism on both sides of her family and the influence of the boozy UK culture resulted in Faye beginning to drink at the age of 13. She loved partying and found it enabled her to switch off her overactive brain. She began working in London, which of course meant she was a member of the work hard, play hard culture. Faye had her kids quite young and then she relocated to Australia. Her drinking calmed down a bit after she had children, but then it ramped up again when she separated from her husband. As a single parent in Australia, she felt rather isolated. She had no family there and hadn't really managed to establish a friend network. With two young children and a full-time job, she was struggling to cope. Her kids alternated between Faye and her ex for weekends. So when her kids were away, Faye just wanted to get obliterated for the entire time. For the next 20 years, Faye was stuck in the moderation trap. That dreaded cycle that so many of us are familiar with. The cycle of trying and failing to cut down over and over. Now and again when she'd overdone it, she'd go to alcohol counselling or an AA meeting or to her GP for naltroxin. But her denial was strong. And, of course, she didn't actually want to give it up. Such a crucial point Faye made there. It's no good trying to quit drinking because we think we should, or because our partner or doctors told us to. We have to really want to quit, and realise that we'll be so much happier and healthier without it, and realise that it adds nothing except trouble to our lives. She describes herself as a functioning alcoholic, keeping her career and family going and ticking all the boxes of a successful person, but going to work with terrible hangovers multiple times a week. In 2017, her relationship broke down and the kids left home. As an empty nester, she found herself home alone. That's when she hit her rock bottom. That's when she realised she was no longer in control. That's when she got to the point where she didn't care whether she lived or died. At that point, she didn't even want to drink and she realised that the alcohol was no longer doing what she needed it to do. It wasn't enjoyable, it wasn't quelling her anxiety or giving her a break from her overactive mind. This made me think of that saying, sobriety delivers everything that alcohol promised. How true. So in spite of that rock bottom, Faith still couldn't stop drinking. Her trigger for change was a trip to her therapist who told her that she looked terrible and she had to get some help. So she got admitted to hospital for a detox. At this point in her story, Faye pointed out that people will be listening to this and thinking, well, I'm not as bad as she was. Well, Faye used to think like that and she wants people to realize that it's a very slippery slope. So if you're on the slippery slope, Please be smart and step off it as soon as possible. Go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe right now. Fay and I both love the modern recovery movement and the fact that nobody has to walk into a room full of strangers and say, I am an alcoholic these days. Because there are so many different paths to sobriety, which means that nobody has to actually wait until they hit rock bottom. After her detox, Faye threw the book at her sobriety. She took meds, she joined sobriety groups, she went to a counsellor and AA meetings. She decided to do whatever it took. And she also decided to go into this with an open mind. Keeping an open mind is so important. Somebody asked me about our Zoom workshop the other day. She was nervous about attending anyway and she asked me what on earth we were going to talk about for four hours. So I suggested she attend with an open mind, and she loved it. I think we panic because we think that we can't survive without our wine. But once we join a community and see how other people are thriving in their sobriety, we realise that not only is this thing possible, it's life-changing. It made me smile when Faye said that she'd Never done adult life. And apparently our emotional maturity stalls when we start to drink heavily. Both Faye and I started drinking in our teens, so we both had to learn adulting. You heard Faye mention that it was 17 years between her realising that she had a problem and actually stopping. And you've probably heard me quoting that study by The Tempest that says that the average time that people take is 11 years. So please don't wait years and years before doing something about your drinking. Just go to tribesober.com and join up today. We agreed that although alcohol is seen as an essential social lubricant, it actually disconnects us. And socialising without alcohol leads to a much more meaningful and authentic connection. A year ago, Faye was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 48. And although there are definite links between ADHD and AUD, none of Fay's counsellors has ever mentioned this or suggested that it could be an issue for her. So she feels that a lot of people are suffering unnecessarily due to not being diagnosed. Fay listed a few characteristics of the ADHD brain which sees things as interesting or not interesting and gets bored very quickly. She suggests that anyone who feels they may have ADHD should go to their GP for a referral. When I asked Faye for her top three benefits of sobriety, she came out with relationship with self, relationship with children and clarity. As she says, sobriety makes the space for good things to happen. That's something to remember in early sobriety. If we feel a bit flat or a bit bored or a bit depressed, it's not always going to feel like this. And you're currently making a space for good things to happen. It even has a name, liminal space. We agreed that the question to ask yourself is not, am I an alcoholic? The question to ask is, am I living my best life? Or am I the person I want to be? If you'd like to learn more about ADHD, then we have an article on tribesober.com website. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can reach Faye via her website, intoxicated.com.au, or via her email, which is fay at untoxicated.com.au I'm recording this in mid-July, so there's still time to sign up for our Zoom workshop on the 22nd of July, Just go to tribesober.com and hit our services. And if you've missed that workshop, then you can check out our Kickstart Online course, which is on the same link. You can start Kickstart Online anytime and you work through it at your own pace. So let me end by reading you a message from one of our chat rooms. This one is from member Miranda in Scotland, who's been thriving in her alcohol-free life for several years now. So much so that she's ready to take a stand against the relentless marketing bullshit that we're all subject to. Her message is in response to a mailer she received from Valamar Holidays. They were promoting a holiday with the heading, Eat, Swim, Champagne, Repeat. Going on to talk about hotels with a supply of champagne as if it was the main benefit of the holiday. That may have appealed to Miranda years ago, but these days it just annoyed her. Listen to this brilliant response. Thank you for your marketing information. We really enjoyed our Valamar holidays previously. Just some feedback for you. The spin on champagne being a pull, it's a bit old fashioned. More and more people are not drinking alcohol. It's not sexy or cool. And people are waking up to that. Alcohol accelerates ageing and is linked directly to seven different types of cancer. That's the new message, and marketing anything other than that seems a bit ridiculous. So I hope you can offer an alternative to your more health-conscious travellers, or simply those that don't want to drink. Alternatives don't mean soft drinks laden with sugar but grown-up non-alcoholic drinks such as no or low-alcohol beers and kombucha. Awesome, Miranda. Well done. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.
1: Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards. And that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.